0: i do love reggae yeah
1: totally so yeah um yeah yeah. yep
0: yep yep Yep.
1: jeremy's got the record
0: Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman. Guys, I gotta tell you something. It's a cold and rainy Sunday night. City life's got me all uptight. My mind keeps wandering far away and vibrations tell me it's time to podcast.
1: (laughs) It is. It is, Sean. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right then I guess I'm in
2: the right place. Well, I'm co-host Jeremy, also in the right place. But I think it's time I start punching my name up, guys. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Like, Jeremy, it doesn't flow very well, so I was thinking maybe just Jerry. Let's kind of give it some punch. Jerry. Okay. And yeah. All right. Since I'm in West Michigan thinking west so like jerry west huh yeah that works i like it wow that yeah. that basketball joke was an airball ball
1: <laughs> You're wrong audience did you really
0: think you could make a, a a basketball joke and either me or
2: peter would get it no that's why i pre thought of the airball comment
1: <laughs> you were oh, ready nice. for that <laughs> <laughs> you came prepared to bomb yeah <laughs> I respect that. Well, I'm co-host Peter Cook, and I got a little something to say. Yeah? All summer long, we spent dancing in the club, and the jukebox kept on playing. Rick Astley's never going to give you up. (laughs) Is that foreshadowing, Peter? (laughs) We were supposed to be talking about Rick
2: Astley on this episode, and we're not. That's true, our our guest was unable to join us, and I brought something else.
1: Don't worry, guest. We're never going to give you up.
2: <laughs> That's
0: true. Are you getting your jokes out now so that you won't mention it at all when we actually record the, the Rick Astley episode? Is that the plan?
2: Yeah, let's never even mention that song during that whole episode. Yeah, I don't
1: think it's going to come up. I Rick-roll, yeah, probably not. I, I Rick rolled this episode already. God. <laughs> What did you bring, Jeremy, in lieu of Rick Astley?
2: I have brought Johnny Rivers and his 1968 album, Realization. Yeah,
1: this is an album that I've long seen out there and I've never listened to. And I'm not sure why, because it looks pretty psychedelic.
2: It, in fact, is psychedelic.
1: I think it's just because it's, it's Johnny Rivers and I don't really have anything against him, but I haven't felt the urge to check out his music.
2: I, in fact, did check out his music under the uh, recommendation of co-host Sean. Listened to like two or three albums and was just like, this guy's not for me. I don't. It's not doing anything for me. And then years later... Stumbled on this thing and was like, oh, this one's doing it for me.
1: Yeah. Sometimes you just got to hear the one for you by an artist.
2: Yeah. And this is the one.
1: You had a realization.
2: Ooh. Well, I would like to present to the audience and to you guys the song, What's the Difference? Inside B, track three.
3: Hey friend, wake up Can't you tell that you're sleeping? How far can you go With unopened eyes Treating your mind Like it was something to play with You're sleeping on a feather bed of lies so what's the difference if you don't wake up you won't know yourself when you finally do you look into some mirror and wonder what you're looking at so what's the difference if you do I have shared your journey from the beauty of childhood to uniforms of flowers that you wear like Sunday skies. Till you can't hear them when soft words are sung to you. You're yeah. sleeping on a feathered bed. what's the difference if you don't wake up? You won't know yourself when you... Find-
1: wow, that had kind of a folky San Francisco vibe to it. Not a secret agent man vibe, which is mainly what I associate with
2: Johnny Rivers. Yeah, that would have been his big hit before this record was his cover of the Secret Agent Man theme song. This album was sort of a continuation that for a couple albums before this, he kind of shifted into more ballads. But then this album, he also took a turn towards the psychedelic, as we've alluded to.
1: Yeah, and that was a song originally by Scott McKenzie. True. The If You're Going to San Francisco, Be Sure to Wear Some Flowers in Your Hair singer.
2: Yeah, and this was, in fact, the B-side to that single when he put it out, and he was in The Mamas and the Papas.
1: Yeah, yeah, because John Phillips had written the If You're Going to San Francisco song from The Mamas and the Papas. Yeah.
2: So this comes by its psychedelic roots, pretty honestly, I'd say, despite Johnny Rivers not really being of that world prior to this album.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, the impression I got is that a lot of people thought of him as maybe a bit of an outsider to this kind of music, like someone who was trying to butt in and not doing it naturally.
2: Did you get that impression at all? Well, he sort of was if you look at his back catalog and his history where he comes from but I I feel like he does it so well here that it's hard to be like well he's just trying to cash in on something that was very popular in 1968.
0: Yeah and it was such a period of transition in music trends were changing so quickly that you know, a, a record that might have sounded horribly out of date at one point, once your decades passed, you can just listen to it and be like, is this good or not? Do I like it? Regardless of what the trends were or the initial cultural response. But yeah, I listening to this record, I immediately was just like, yep, this is great. I love what he's doing. His voice is incredible. The arrangements are really interesting.
1: Yeah, of course, before this, he had also done the Jimmy Webb song, By the Time I Get to Phoenix, which is an all-timer. But I've often gravitated towards other versions, the, the Isaac Hayes version, which takes up a half of my day to listen to. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> worth it, though.
1: It's worth it.
2: Yeah, he, he's kind of known for covering other songs in his style, which is interesting because he started out in music from the other direction, trying to be a songwriter type person. But yeah, he kind of came to be known for doing good versions of songs that other people made.
1: Yeah, and I know he does a few originals on here.
2: Yeah, we'll be hearing one of his songs that he wrote later, going back to Big Sur.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's one of his originals on here. So I mentioned briefly, Sean recommended this to me originally. So I'm guessing you have some familiarity with Johnny Rivers, Sean. It kind of
0: blew my mind when you said I recommended this to you because when I listened to this record getting ready for the episode, in my mind, I had no Johnny Rivers experience and was pleasantly surprised at how much I like this. So I don't know if I like had a Johnny Rivers phase that I have just completely blocked from my memory or if I was just making a stack of records at random and you were taking it as a serious recommendation, I'm not sure what happened.
2: <laughs> well, I, it's funny cause I remember where it happened and everything. We were in Philadelphia on tour before you moved to Philadelphia and we were in a record shop and I think it was rivers of gold. You're like, yeah, this, this slaps, check it out. And I put it on was like, this does not slap. I, I don't like it. <laughs> hmm. And I I tried a couple of his albums after that, also didn't like them. And then, yeah, this one had the psychedelic cover, and I was like, okay, I'll give it another try. And this one landed for me.
0: All right, well, I'm glad I could help you, even though I don't know why. <laughs> I didn't. I don't remember that other album you mentioned, but here we are.
1: I'm yeah, glad
0: <laughs> it worked out to this.
1: <laughs> Sean is just so immersed in so many records and songs and just all that that I think some of it just disappears and you might just catch him on a day that he's feeling something and then... <laughs> and then oh,
0: yeah. By default. Totally. And I've done it before where maybe like I'll be checking out a whole bunch of records all at once. And a couple of them will stand out to me initially, and then I will just completely forget the experience. So I'm sure that's happened before, where an album I had recently listened to, I recommend to someone, and then a few weeks later, I just have no memory of it anymore. That's how my brain works sometimes. Such a prolific
2: recommender. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: I I really appreciate that you hear something and you think of friends and recommend it to them. (laughs) Like, I think my friend would be into this. And then months later, thanks for doing that for me. What did I do? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who?
2: (laughs) Well, shall we get into a little bio? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, sure. Johnny Rivers was actually born John Henry Ramistella in New York City, November 7, 1942. His family moved to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And that's where John began playing guitar at age eight. He was playing in local bands in junior high school, including with uh, Dick Holler, who went on to write Abraham, Martin, and John. That was a big hit back in the day. And he was also the person who introduced John to a lot of R&B that influenced his music. Career, I would say. At age 14, he formed his own band called The Spades. And at age 15, managed to get an audition at the Brill Building with Alan Freed, a famous rock and roll DJ who kind of brought rock and roll to the masses.
0: Yeah, he was one of the first celebrity rock and roll DJs. Eventually, overshadowed by people like Dick Clark, but in the early days he was the man
2: yeah, and he was visiting his aunt in New York City and was like, "I'm going to find Alan Freed and get him to to hear my songs, and it worked somehow <laughs> while I'm here, yeah, wild, wild stories, wild how it used to go down, yeah,
1: if that hadn't happened, we would all just be standing here with nothing to talk about. That's true. We wouldn't have a record. <laughs>
2: Sean would be like, I wish I could recommend things, but I don't know what to do. What a world. What a world. All right, well, let's get to another cut before we get any further into this bio. I want to play one of my favorite songs ever made that, coincidentally, Johnny Rivers has done a cover of on here. Whiter Shade of Pale.
1: Heck yeah, Procol Harum.
2: Yeah. And that's side A, track five.
1: I've heard a lot of covers of this song because it's also one of my favorite songs of all time. I've heard everyone from R. Stevie Moore to Sammy Hagar sing A Whiter Shade of Pale.
2: Oh, wow. <laughs> I bet that's a good one.
1: <laughs> it's it's you know, it's uh it's such a great song that honestly it seems Hagar can't even wreck yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> not even Hagar can wreck it. Uh but I've never heard anyone begin the chorus by saying, And so it was baby it usually it's the lyric is and so it was that later as the Miller told his tale but but Johnny there sings baby he threw a baby in there
2: oh I didn't even pick up on that
1: I, maybe I shouldn't have pointed it out because it's getting close to love you baby <laughs>
2: oh yeah interesting
1: but it's a great version of it like I said it's one of those songs that to me is is hard to wreck
2: yeah and he doesn't that's fairly faithful to the original he doesn't go too wild with it true
0: so i saw that johnny is the credited producer on this record does that mean he's doing the arrangements as well
2: yeah i would think that's the case i guess i'm not 100 percent sure the one reason i'm kind of questioning is just that almost every one of the other players on this record are wrecking crew people Yeah,
1: I noticed, I looked at the lineup, and and yeah, it's all the classic names. Yeah,
0: so I'm... Yeah, so the arrangements very well could have been more of a group effort than anything.
2: Yeah, that's kind of what I'm wondering, um, because I don't see anyone specifically credited for the arranging, but it would make sense as the producer that he's probably doing a good chunk of it, I would say.
0: Yeah, at least leading this uh, crew of
2: wonderful players. Well, I, I guess I just got to go right into the players now. Now that we've dropped that out so. there, <laughs> and I'm, you know, sometimes we mention all the things these players have been involved in, <laughs> but
1: yeah, that would that would be the rest of the
2: episode. Yeah, and a few. Bonus episodes, probably. (laughs) A whole series. Part four, part five. Here's
1: everything Larry Nectal's been on.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Larry Nectal on the keys. Uh, You got Hal Blaine on drums.
1: Might have heard of Hal Blaine.
2: (laughs) Maybe you've heard of him. You got Joe Osborne on bass, who was a wrecking crew guy and was also on the Nashville A-Team, which is, that's absurd. Yeah, he was involved with the Carpenters pretty closely. Marty Page on Horns and
1: Strings. You know, he I wonder if he had a hand in the arranging, because that was kinda his thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, especially being in charge of horns and strings, he might have handled at least those like sections. Yeah. But we'll never know. He had James Burton on the guitar. And then the one name, not really Wrecking Crew. Also, not a lot of other credits out there is Jim Hendrix on rhythm guitar.
1: Yeah, yeah, the other, the confusingly named James Hendrix, H E N D
2: R I C K S. Yeah, it's not a secret credit to to Jimmy. This is uh, another guy who was briefly married to Cass Elliot from the Mamas and Papas. Then he. Uh, moved to nashville and played contemporary christian music for the rest of his life so he doesn't have many credits in popular albums after this so yeah it's a uh, wrecking crew plus johnny rivers on this thing but let's jump back into the timeline here we got a young johnny rivers he's down south in louisiana playing shows in the South, Audrey Williams, who was the wife of Hank Williams, hears Johnny Rivers and starts talking to him and recommending, you know, you should go to Nashville. You're really good. She also helped arrange for some of the Nashville sound, like studio aces, to cut some singles with him once he got to Nashville. So. She was pretty instrumental in kinda getting his career started.
1: That's cool. I really didn't know much of anything about Hank Williams' widow, and that she had you know some pull and and whatnot.
2: That's cool. Yeah, she must have had some connections in Nashville still. But even after a couple singles, Johnny Rivers didn't really take off initially. And So he decides to move to LA after a few years being in Nashville. And he does this in 1961. And he wants to focus on songwriting and producing because he kind of felt like he, he tried his hand at being the front man and that didn't really work for him. So he'd try and be more in the background. It's while he's kind of bumming around L.A., getting some work here and there in the studios, that he's hanging out in this Italian restaurant called Gazzari's. And one day, the jazz band that was playing there regularly quit on the owner, and the owner came up to Johnny and was like, you're like a musician, right? Like, can you just fill in until I find another band? And Johnny... Agreed to do it, and it was a success, like, right out of the gate. People started showing up, and he became very popular. The owner gave him money to, like, hire a band, so it wasn't just him up there. Then, before he knew it, he was signed to Imperial Records. As things went down back then.
1: Yeah. (laughs) This is like mid-1960s
2: or even early? uh... This is like early to mid. This Mm. is like 63, I want to say. Okay. And then this was a pretty interesting story I stumbled on that was Johnny Rivers' kind of breakout hit was Chuck Berry's Memphis and Elvis Presley had sent Johnny a test pressing of his cover of Memphis that Johnny Rivers (laughs) turned around and recorded and basically straight-up lifted Elvis's arrangement in this test pressing he sent him, and then it sold a million copies and (laughs) uh, went gold, hit number two on the Billboard chart. He had a, a smash hit on his hand that he stole from Elvis.
0: And I'm I'm shocked that the next part of his story is that he was mysteriously assassinated and Colonel Tom Parker is suspected.
1: <laughs> Elvis's notoriously brutal manager. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I can see Elvis being more laid back about that than Colonel Tom Parker.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of I found the whole thing interesting cuz Elvis would have been like the biggest dude in the world at that point. And Johnny Rivers is like just starting up in LA. I don't know if he was trying to like, uh, catch like a young wave or something there, but yeah, interesting story. So at this point, Johnny Rivers is starting to take off. And in 1965, he does a recording of secret agent man that hit number three in the billboard charts And then in 1966, the following year, he had his first number one hit with his own song that he wrote, Poor Side of Town.
1: I bet that felt good, to get one of his own songs out there and have a big hit with it.
3: Yeah,
2: to capture both sides, his songwriting and his performing that he'd kind of gone back and forth on. So that was cool. And that sort of led to this juncture. His fifth studio album, where he kind of goes introspective, kind of goes psychedelic, though I'd say it's softly psychedelic. It's not too over the top trying to like. That's where I think it really. in it's restraint of not jumping into psychedelia is why it doesn't come off as like corny or a money grab to me.
1: Yeah. A lot of it is more the lush production of that era than it is being like mind bending psychedelic sounds.
2: Yeah. And it's more that like introspective, almost like post trip sort of feeling than like wild colors and crazy sounds. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I want to jump to another cover he does on this album of another song that is one of my favorite songs
1: oh i hope it's a bob dylan song
2: it is a bob dylan song positively fourth street the final song on the album side b track five
3: You've got a lot of nerve To say you are my friend When I was down You just stood there grinning You've got a lot of nerve To say you've got a helping hand to lend You just want to be on side that's winning You see I let you down You know it's not like that You're so hurt, why then don't you your feet that's not where it's at you have no feet to lose and you know
2: That version of that song, I feel like a lot of times I hear covers of Bob Dylan songs and I don't dig it, but you know who else really dug this version of this Bob Dylan song? Bob Dylan? Bob Dylan. (laughs) Lucky guess. Yeah. He described this version as one of his favorite recorded versions of his songs and said that Johnny River's version is better than his own. Wow. Yeah.
1: You know, I think a few people covered Dylan's songs, so that's saying something.
2: Yeah, and it's... I think that version's fantastic. It's pretty minimal. It's pretty straightforward, but his vocal delivery really captures the down-and-out-but-fighting-back spirit of it.
1: Yeah. That song has some some vitriol to it. Yeah. It's a... Definitely a different take from the very organ-driven original. But it works, I agree. That was among my favorites when checking out this album. yeah, that's, once again, Jeremy, one of my favorite songs.
2: Aww. Peter and I are connecting on this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Johnny just has such a natural delivery when he's working with other people's material. He just... Honors the original without straying too far, but makes it his own and
2: doesn't sound forced in any way. I'd say one of the areas he strongly excels in is capturing the spirit of a song, but not not dominating the spirit of it. Like sometimes people do great covers where they sort of, you know, they make it their own. Mm-hmm. I'd say he does a great balancing act of kind of honoring it, but also Giving it some new, a new perspective, new life, new life. So this album, Realization, became Johnny Rivers' best-selling album, reaching number five on the Billboard charts.
1: That makes sense because I see it a lot.
2: Yeah, it's uh, the one hit on this album that we're actually not going to play today is Summer Rain.
1: Yeah, I was surprised that you didn't want to feature that one, but I ended up quoting that, or re- revamping that for my uh, my intro. Uh,
0: Jeremy, is it true that you are not including that song purely to spite Peter and all other Beatles fans? Yes.
1: Oh, I thought you okay. just said a minute ago we were connecting on this episode, now we're back <laughs> to the normal place.
2: <laughs> That's uh, the avoidant in me, I, I can't get too close to you, Peter.
1: I I get it. We have many things
2: to work out yet. (laughs) Johnny continued recording after this album, all through the seventies. It's kind of his the sixties and seventies were his most busy, prolific era.
1: Rivers flowing.
2: The rivers were. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. In the early eighties, he converted to Christianity and kind of disappeared for a while until about the late 90s when he got back on the the music train. Since the late 90s, he's continued performing and releasing music. His last LP came out in 2009 and he's been inducted into the Louisiana Music Hall of Fame. He's not yet in the Rock Hall. Come on, Rock Hall. Clean up your act.
0: (laughs) You know, I don't think anyone's ever critiqued them before. That's interesting.
1: (laughs) Everyone's been very happy with all of their decisions.
2: Yeah. Yeah, up up until now. Wow, Jeremy. In their leadership. Just ask Bob Dylan. That's a a topical quote that won't make sense (laughs) very soon. So he played the Grand Ole Opry. In February of 2020.
1: Oh, wow. Right before lockdown.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And then was going to do like a farewell tour that got canceled a few times because of COVID. It looks like he played one last kind of one-off gig in 2023 before officially announcing his retirement in July of 2023. At age 81. That's a pretty good run. Pretty good run. And he's 82 now. Still with us. Still kicking. Just uh, stepping back from music.
0: He's just capping off his career. Being featured on an episode of I'd Buy That for a dollar. Wow. Yeah, a
2: feather in his cap, I'm sure. Yep. (laughs) Cool. Well, that's Johnny Rivers. Sean, do you have... Other things that sound like Johnny Rivers? Some records, maybe, to recommend to people? I mean... You want me to do that? Yeah, records is a good form to listen to music on. I like it. Related to this podcast. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So,
0: 1968. There's a record we've talked about from that year before that I think has a little bit of similarity, and that would be Richard Harris' A Tramp Shining.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Jimmy Webb wrote the songs on that, and of course, Johnny Rivers has performed songs by Jimmy Webb. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, some
0: light psychedelic vibes going on. Neither one of them are fully weird, but they're also not the most normal records.
1: Yeah, well, I'm also pretty positive that a lot of the players on this played on that Richard Harris album. There you go.
0: <laughs> Another 1968 record that leans a little more into the psychedelic, but I think has some good comparisons and one that we should definitely feature at some point, Joe South, Introspect.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. That guy's got some Dylan connections, too.
0: Hmm. Great singer. Great songwriter. Great record.
1: Played bass on Blonde on Blonde.
0: Wow. And then last recommendation, I wonder if you guys have heard this one before. This is like maybe an example of taking some of the styles from this Johnny Rivers record and like evolving them maybe to their natural endpoint. 1971's Isle of View" by Jimmy Spears. Oh my
2: God.
1: I only saw that coming when you said 1971. (laughs) 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 That's when I was on to you. Mm.
2: That's so you guys have heard that? That's a pretty legit comparison, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's a good
0: record. Great artist. Check out Jimmy Spheres, episode one of I'd Buy That For A Dollar.
1: Well, very good, Sean. Before we finish things up here, I did have a couple items for another installment of For The Record where... We set the record straight on misinformation stated in previous episodes. Going back to the end of last season, on our Leon Redbone episode, we had said that on the first episode of Saturday Night Live, there was no musical guest. That is not true. Both Billy Preston and Janice Ian performed on the first episode of Saturday Night Live. Which we're not sure, but we may have
2: mentioned in our Janiceian episode.
1: Yeah, I did not go back and listen to the entire episode (laughs) to find out whether or not we said that. You know, that was the very beginning of season one that we featured her. And uh, sometimes it's fun to go back to those early episodes, but sometimes it's a little. We were were green at the time. (laughs) And on our more recent The Gap Band episode, we had uh, stated that artist Tina Marie had signed with No Limit Records. It was actually cash money records that Tina Marie was signed to. On that same episode, we also uh, stated uh, that singer of the Gap Band, Charlie Wilson, had a hand in writing the song Lonely Like Me. That was not true. It was his brother, Ronnie Wilson, who had a hand in writing that song. So that's all I have for this installment of For the Record.
2: Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Peter, for clearing our good names.
1: Just keeping it honest and factual.
2: That's good. I like that.
1: Well, do we have any more we want to say about Johnny Rivers before we introduce our final selection?
2: I don't. This is his best record as far as I know. That's all I got to say about it.
1: I'll be curious to check out more of his work. But I'm definitely going to get a copy of this album. I'm starting here. You've convinced me, Jeremy.
2: Yes.
0: Yeah, I too will be picking up this record and maybe trying to see what old Sean was talking about with other Johnny Riffers records as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Discover yourself from the past.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm doing.
1: Will, very good. If you like this episode, you can always get more content, you know, once you catch up on all 200 plus episodes that we have for our available for the public, you can sign up for our Patreon over at patreon.com slash ID would that podcast. We have bonus episodes. We have specialized custom mixes. We have the vinyl tier where we will send you records. Check it all out over at patreon.com slash I'd Buy That Podcast. It has been a wonderful and fantastic 2023 here on the program. You guys feeling ready to move into this next year?
2: Yes. I've thought about it, and sure. <laughs> I have decided to make the choice to move into the next year.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you made that choice. It would be interesting to see what would happen had you not.
2: I'm going to plug in my quantum computer one day and see.
1: Yeah. I think some people live in the past.
2: Oh, that's true. That's a good, yeah.
1: I think some people host a podcast about records from 30, 40, 50 years ago (laughs) and think about old music a lot.
2: Hey, I make a point at the end of pretty much every year now, to read all the best of year-end lists, to find a few records each year that came out that I could be like, "All right, I listened to a newer record that but, I like.
1: But you you wait for other people to tell you which ones are the best ones.
2: Yeah, they can filter through what's good or not. Tell me tell me afterwards, I don't have time for all that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of do the same. I'm like, oh, I checked out a few of those, but I don't even have enough to make a, like a top 10 of 2023, especially with this podcast taking up so much of my listening time for old music, which is fine, because I like history.
2: It's new to you.
1: Yeah. All right, well, we'll see you in 2024. What are we going out on, Jeremy?
2: We're going out on... Going back to Big Sur, which one day I'd like to go back to Big Sur. It's a
1: beautiful place. Yeah, I've I've never been, but I've heard great things, often from you.
2: Yeah, I like to live in the past.
1: (laughs) When you lived in California. Uh,
2: Yeah, and this was written by Johnny Rivers. True. This is uh, the first song we're featuring today, written by Johnny Rivers. As the final song you will hear. Excellent. This has been I'd Buy That for a Dollar. My name is Peter Cook. My name is Jeremy Ruggles. Also Jerry West. (laughs) It's funny now. And I'm Sean Hartman.
3: It's a cold and rainy Friday night, city life's got me all uptight, my mind keeps wandering far away, vibrations tell me it's time to leave L.A.